All right, Ben. Are the Packers for real? The Vikings are going to Green Bay this weekend, and I'm looking at the NFC standings, and I'm trying to figure out what exactly is going to happen here in these next few weeks, and I can't. I can't figure out if it's going to be Green Bay, Dallas. I don't think it's going to be the Rams. Um, Tampa Bay's beat up, but it's Tom Brady, so maybe it's just going to be him. Is it just going to be Tom Brady, Ben, standing there on top of the mountain in February? I mean, that's generally a fairly good pick to, if you don't know, just pick Tom Brady. I think it's generally a fairly, it hasn't been a bad bet in the last two decades in the NFL. So I I think there's a possibility it's that. Um, Yeah, the Packers are, are interesting because in terms of points for points against, they are far ahead of where their, to use the fancy term, Pythagorean win expectation would have them. They have been uh, basically a nine and six team winning a lot of close games. The Vikings have been uh, on the other side of a lot of the close games, obviously. So are they this good? Are they the the class of the NFC? I don't know. Um, They've certainly missing a lot of players. Jair Alexander practiced today. So maybe they get some of those guys back, but it's just, it's had a weird vibe. It has, they certainly haven't looked as dominant offensively as they did last year and that defense has regressed to the point that I'm not sure I see them coming out of the NFC unless their defense is a lot better I, I think it's I think it's wide open but yeah I I probably default to picking Tom Brady <laughs> right it's I that's the thing and it's it's the sad thing about the NFL right now is that I feel like everybody's the boring dis- thing <laughs> every yes that's what I mean is that everybody's discussing the parody you see the stats about x amount of teams with at least seven wins this late in the season um and it makes you feel like oh my gosh in the extra playoff uh, spot so you feel like the extra game you feel like you have that more opportunity and the NFL has done this marvelous thing where they found a way to engineer interest and keep it later in the season for all these markets but is it really wide open is it because I just think it's going to be potentially Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes again uh, going to Los Angeles. Cause what we saw from the Rams on, on Sunday, I, we're speaking about this as the Vikings are a complete outsider looking in because that's how they've played so far. Um, what we saw from the Rams on Sunday, I, I can't imagine Matthew Stafford is making some kind of six game run to a Super Bowl here because the, the guy looked broken to me. While the days are getting shorter, the nights are getting brighter at the Minnesota Zoo. Welcome to the second annual Nature Illuminated, presented by Wings Financial Credit Union. This narrated drive through experience will immerse you in an enchanting world of brilliant, oversized displays of your favorite zoo creatures, all illuminated in fantastical layers of light. This one-of-a-kind experience is truly wild, only at the Minnesota Zoo, December 2nd through January 16th. Reserve your tickets at mnzoo.org. Yeah, I mean, I said to you in the middle of the game, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday. I, I leaned over to you during the game and said, is he hurt? Because I can't explain this with much else on some of these throws in terms of how short he was on them or just how badly he was missing guys. He looked tentative the entire game. So, yeah, you're you're asking anybody but the number one seed to go win three games just to get to the Super Bowl. I don't see the Rams doing it. I'm not sure I see the Cardinals doing it because they've had enough issues and I think Kyler Murray has been inconsistent enough that it would be hard to see them going on that kind of a run. I, I think it's probably green Bay, Tampa Bay, or Dallas. I could see Dallas simply because Dak Prescott 
has is a class above, even though he has struggled a little bit lately. And that is a team with a lot of weapons. The the very, very interesting subplot to this whole thing would be if it's Dallas going to Lambeau Field at some point in the playoffs, Mike McCarthy going back to Green Bay, where I think he still lives and where he was sort of uh, unceremoniously booted in the middle of the season with po- the possible help of the starting quarterback, the Green Bay Packers. So that could be an interesting playoff matchup wherever that might occur. But I, to me, it's, I think those are the three best teams in the NFC. Where you, where you rank them, I don't know, but I think they're better than the rest of the field. Wait a minute. Mike McCarthy still lives in Green Bay? I think he still has a house there. I think he has a kid that's still in school there. So I don't think they ah. moved the entire family. But, yeah, I, I, I think that's right. Uh, I should double check on that. But I'm fairly certain that's still the case. <laughs> I was dangerously close to making some kind of um, he has a street named after him. I know that some kind of ground round joke. Um, I, <laughs> I, I was, but the kids, the family, yeah, I suppose he coached there for gosh, a decade plus makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, Dallas is actually that team. That's a, that's a great one. The way that Dallas's defense is playing and the Vikings saw it firsthand when Cooper rush could come in and win and shut down this Vikings offense. Um, that, that defense is on fire right now between DeMarcus Lawrence coming back healthy, uh, the pass rush, Diggs' younger brother, I think, tied for the NFL lead in interceptions at this point, or has 11 picks that might lead the NFL at this point. And then J. Ron Curse is emerging out of nowhere in that Dallas defense and actually playing a pretty critical role as like a the kind of slot guy that he was here. And J. Ron kind of left after four years feeling unsupported, having gotten arrested in his final year um, here in Minnesota, and it didn't really work out for him, but he's finding kind of a second or mid-career resurgence over there in Dallas. And so that's a good one because if that offense is clicking, um, they can certainly run the ball with Tony Pollard in addition to Zeke Elliott. I don't, I don't know how anybody can stop them. And, and that run game might rival Green Bay's as far as a two-headed kind of punch that can travel pretty well in January. And, and I think that's why the Vikings then probably have slim to zero shot of winning. I know they've won back-to-back games against um the Packers I I know that's happened but I just don't see them going to Lambeau and winning again even though Dalvin Cook is cleared he's coming back uh new NFL protocols have allowed him to return even earlier than he would have been before so he comes back after six days away following a positive COVID test but even with Cook who last ran for what was it 200 yards at Lambeau I just uh yeah it was 200 all-purpose rushing and receiving but yeah it was the first player in Lambeau Field history to have 200 yards from scrimmage and four touchdowns in the same game not bad not no, bad I not just, at all <laughs> I have a hard time though seeing him repeat that performance um but they would probably need it to come away with a win um in Green Bay because Aaron Rodgers last threw four touchdowns uh against the Vikings and they somehow snuck away with a win on what was just a career day from Justin Jefferson uh, last month. So, Ben, should I be writing off the Vikings as much as I am? You know, probably not, just because it's been that kind of a year. But, I, yeah, I mean, this one feels like it's going to be difficult for a number of reasons. I think going into Lambeau Field and winning is a different deal when there's fans there. And I think it's a different thing when it's going to be this cold. I mean, this could be, I was just looking this up for a story for tomorrow. This could be the coldest Vikings Packers game. I think since like 1972, 
Um, I mean, it, it's going to be one of the coldest games in the history of this rivalry and could be one of the coldest games in the history of Lambeau Field. Um, and that that changes things quite a bit. I mean, you could talk about preparing for the cold. 20, I mean, as anybody that lives in Minnesota, we don't have to tell our listeners this, 20 degrees is a lot different than two degrees. It, it's just everything is a little bit harder when it gets to be that cold. So I do think that makes something of a difference if you're not used to it. I, I wonder a little bit how Dalvin Cook is going to feel coming off of COVID in that cold air. I mean, I, I think he'll certainly be effective. And he talked today about you get the pads on and you get going. It's fine. But it's harder to breathe. I, I run a lot in the winter and it's harder to breathe when you are in that kind of cold. So I, I wonder, it's just something to keep in mind. It may not have any effect at all, but I do wonder about that. And I just think that Cousins in the cold, when you're not used to that, may be a little bit of a different thing. Certainly has the arm strength, but the Packers are going to try to lock Justin Jefferson down. Not having Adam Thielen, I think, makes a big difference. Um, Jair Alexander practiced today for the Packers. I, I think it's a tough assignment. I don't think it's impossible for the Vikings to go in there and win. It's just been that kind of a year, and they've been probably successful enough against the Packers to think they could pull it off. It's just, uh, I think it's a tougher assignment, certainly, than the last time they played them. Yeah, the Packers, the last time they played the Vikings, did not have Aaron Jones or Alan Lazard. They will have both of those guys on Sunday. You brought up Jair Alexander. He was designated to return off IR. Doesn't mean he's going to play against the Vikings, but it at least opens up. Today was the last day they had to activate him to practice. So at at the very least, they had to do that. So, yeah, the, that timing probably means we shouldn't read into the, the fact that he was practicing so much that he's going to play, like you're saying. Yeah, because we, we got to wait and see on that. But still, they've had Razul Douglas playing really well for them, uh, as the Vikings had seen uh, earlier. But Jefferson was still able to have just a career game. I think it was a career game up nearly 200 yards in that yeah. one against the yeah. Packers. Um, they're going to need just some of those superstar performances, I think, to get past it because this Vikings defense, if you're going against Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, and it's going to be nine degrees as a high, I think, projected that day, yeah. um, I have a hard time seeing uh, this Vikings run defense the way it's playing. And now they just added another defensive end, Patrick Jones, on the COVID list. Um, they're going to need Sheldon Richardson, Ben, to play like every snap <laughs> on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. They might need that. I mean, it, they are pretty thin there and that's going to have a big effect in this game. The Packers have had a lot of trouble stopping the run lately as well. In fact, the, I think the Browns averaged like 10 or 11 yards of carry against them and the Browns gashed them last week. So you can come back and say, well, if Dalvin cook is ready to go, maybe he has one of those big nights and they're fine. It's, I just, I think it's, going to be one of those nights where if cousins isn't able to get Jefferson going, they're going to eventually run into a limit to how effective their offense is going to be able to be. And maybe they don't need it to score 30 points, but I don't think I'd want to go in banking on winning 20 to 17 with that defense facing this Packers running game. No, and they're going to be doing it too, potentially without another offensive lineman. Ole Udo is on the COVID list. Um, who, who's next? Is it Dakota Dozier, who was just hospitalized last month with COVID pneumonia? Um, I, it's, I have a hard time seeing how they're going to be able to uh, maintain any kind of uh, you know continuity, open up running lanes, all that stuff up front, if they're turning to yet another change in that rotation. Because remember, Mason Cole's on injured reserve. 
So yep. he's gone. Uh, Wyatt Davis, we've had so many questions about him because fans are wondering why is a third round pick sitting on the bench? Uh, ben, we haven't heard a peep from Wyatt Davis. And every time we ask Mike Zimmer about him, uh, it's just, you know, the same stuff about development and, and you know, a rookie learning and, and needing to learn uh, quicker. It does not suggest that they have been thrilled with Wyatt Davis's development. And that's everything we've heard as well. I mean, people keep asking about it. And I think people are starting to get the sense of, has he really been that bad? I mean, we haven't seen practice, obviously. We don't see it during the season. We don't see it at all now, uh, unless it's outside, which I guess it will be tomorrow. But the fact that he's not in there, the fact that they are putting Dakota Dozier out there potentially tells you a lot, I think. And the fact that they haven't put him out there should answer some of your questions about how they feel about him. I, from what we've heard and what they kind of say, you can read between the lines publicly. You can talk to people privately. You can see the fact that he just hasn't been out there. I don't think they feel comfortable yet with him being there. Yeah. And I think a big part of it too, right. Is, is you can only do so much in the regular season yeah. to prove things to coaches. You can be the smartest guy in the room. You can do everything off the field, but if you're not doing it in a preseason game, you're not doing it in action or even as a reserve role somehow, on Sundays, you're just not, I don't think the opportunity is there for you to really prove a whole lot. Look at what happened. It took Garrett Bradbury getting COVID for them to put yep. Mason Cole in yep. the game. And that's a guy who's played three years in the NFL in Mason Cole. And so I'm not saying that they were looking for a reason to bench their first round pick. They wanted Garrett to develop, but um, Ole was getting penalized left and right. And then they eventually decided to keep Cole in at right guard over Ole Udo. So I think games tell coaches a lot, so much more than practices can, than meetings can, and coaches say that constantly. And that's why I think when you get into the regular season, what you've done previously in the preseason means, it means a lot. And it's why a guy like Kyle Sloter, who's back on the roster, <laughs> uh, is here probably because he's yeah. at least shown this staff that in the preseason, he can go out there and win you a game against the third string Seahawks secondary. Yeah, if you get into a spot where you have to, if that's all that's available to you, he's run their offense before. So yep. you have that going for you to your point though, about the regular season. The other thing is just practice reps aren't that plentiful for guys that aren't first stringers. You can get reps on the scout team and I'm sure Wyatt Davis is getting some of those, but you're not running the Vikings offense in that spot. You're running the look that their, their defense is going to see for the most part on Sunday. So you're not being asked to execute the offense that you would, if you're playing and you, you may get a rep or two in a, in a, in a period, but you're not getting the type of work that you would in the preseason because the primary goal of a regular season practice is to get the starters ready for Sunday. It is not development. It is not installing the offense or anything like that. It's, What's the game plan this week? What do we need to go execute? Because we have three practices during a week that are mandated in length and intensity by the collective bargaining agreement. So you don't have all of this time to go develop guys on the field, which is why, like you're saying, what happened in the preseason, what they did with those developmental reps stands out a lot. And if you haven't made the impression to that point that you're ready to go out there, it is hard to correct that during the middle of the regular season. So how bad is Kirk Cousins' broken rib? Uh, you reported, I think, last week that he's playing with a broken rib, and then he goes out there and a takes cracked a cracked rib. I don't know that it's fully broken. Sorry, I'm cracked. I, cracked. I'm sure it still doesn't feel good, but yeah, I don't. I don't believe it's fully broken. 
And that puts him on an injury report, probably to his chagrin, I would imagine, for the first yes, time. Certainly to his chagrin. In eight, is it eight years? Yeah, first time since week one of the 2013 season, he'd had a, an ankle injury that cost him a couple of preseason games, and that lingered into week one. And I think he had an illness at the end of 2012 before the famous RG3 Seahawks playoff game. Cousins eventually ended up getting into that game when RG3 got hurt. But, um, yeah, first time since the beginning of 2013 that he's been on the injury report. And I, I don't believe he's terribly happy about the fact that he's there from what I've heard. Well, so how, how bad is this from what you've gathered? And is it something that, I mean, obviously he's going to continue to play through it. It's not going to keep him out of a game. But um, I don't know. Did, did you think it affected him at all on Sunday? Because Sunday would have been the first game he was playing with it, correct? Yeah, it's been weird because he – has certainly downplayed it publicly. And from what I've been told, he's kind of downplayed it privately too. I mean, he went and got the MRI, which showed his rib was cracked. And he said it didn't affect him much on Sunday. He said he wasn't really feeling it. But, you know, we saw a few reps in practice last week where he's throwing, trying to warm up, and he's wincing a little bit. So I'm sure it had some effect just in the sense that he had to be feeling it during the game. I I don't know if there were specific throws that ended up being harder for him to make or hits. And he really didn't get hit a lot in that game compared to some of the ones that he's had recently. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I would, it's not an injury. I guess I'd say this. It's not one that I imagine whenever he gets hit on Sunday night in cold weather will feel great. I mean, I, I think it's probably a matter of pain tolerance, but if he gets hit there Sunday night, I, I can't imagine that's going to be a lot of fun to play with in that, in that kind of cold. Yeah. I'm sure Kirk is uh, a thousand times tougher physically than, than I, as a sports writer will ever be as a, talking about a guy who started however many games consecutively in the NFL uh, when available and healthy, but I have to imagine it's in his head when uh, you got Aaron Donald on the field and it's third and goal and he's doing that check down to Alexander Madison in the flat. And then afterward admits right away that, yeah, Justin was kind of coming open there in the corner yeah. of the end zone. And if he had just kind of waited a little bit, had thrown that. I do wonder if the progression is speeding up just a tad because yeah. he is playing with something that I cannot imagine. It feels great when you get drilled um, in the midsection while you're delivering a ball uh, down the field. So We'll have to see because it's Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, I believe, still healthy and available for the Packers. Sean uh, and, Gary, who the Packers did not have last time. That's right. Um, who's had a, right. a nice year for them. He, I think, had an elbow injury last time, so he didn't play the first time around either. And still knows Zadarius Smith, but they'll have Gary, which they didn't have last time. Yeah, and a pretty good pass rush, I think, overall um, over there. So, and one that just we've seen kind of get after Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. And when things go south, it tends to go south in a certain way from Minnesota's offense. Um, but we'll have to see if it's Ole Udo, Dakota Dozier, who's going to be available at guard. Mike Zimmer had said um, Ole's going to be able to come back quickly. And we know he's vaccinated, so he needs to produce just two negative tests. Uh, and now under new rules, those tests can come on the same day. So I think technically it could be even game day. Uh, he could get cleared, I believe, um, maybe if not the day before. I'm not 100% certain on that, so don't, don't quote me. But, um, Ben, let's go into – actually, before we go to questions, I want to ask you about – you're working on something for Harrison Smith. Yeah. And 
or about Harrison Smith for Sunday. And he's going up against Aaron Rodgers for the umpteenth time yeah. in his career. And this is one of the more fascinating matchups I think we get to see uh, every season between one of the game's best and probably two future Hall of Famers, really, and, and Smith and Rodgers. So um, how would you contextualize this matchup and just how it stacks up, too, with, with Harrison's career so far? Because he's had a pretty good season outside of missing a couple games uh, with that positive COVID test. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always an interesting matchup. Aaron Rodgers had a lot of complimentary things to say about Harrison Smith. I think after they played for the first time this year in terms of where the Vikings disguise him, he's, the Vikings have had a lot of success, relatively speaking, <laughs> against Aaron Rodgers. I don't know how much success anybody ever has in an absolute sense against Aaron Rodgers, but they have had games where they were able to confuse him or at least make him kind of have to wait and hold the ball. And Harrison Smith is a big part of that. Now, this could be the last time they play each other in this setting. If Rodgers is somewhere else, I think he he made some comments today that said he's going to consider the possibility of playing in Green Bay again, uh, could play somewhere else if they end up trading him. And he also talked about the possibility of retiring. He said, I, I won't drag the decision out, but I – may end up thinking that about retiring. So it, you know, who knows if any of that will come to fruition, but it's certainly possible. This is the last time. And I'm, I'm sure Vikings fans would not mind if it is the last time, but um, yeah, it's, it's been a fascinating matchup. It's been one that I think they both enjoy to an extent that you, to the extent that you enjoy going up against the best and people that bring the best out of you. Uh, that's that's certainly been one of these. As far as Smith and the Hall of Fame, I, this is going to be a really interesting question that I think is going to be based a lot on the final half of his career. I mean, Mark Craig, who holds the Hall of Fame vote in this market, of course, is our national NFL writer. He and I were talking about this a little bit this morning. Um, and he brought up Leroy Butler, the Packers safety, who had, I think, been a four-time All-Pro and had been, you know, uh, one of the the – preeminent safeties in the 1990s for the Packers, the Super Bowl teams that, you know, they kind of moved him around like a chess piece, the way that the Vikings do in some ways with Harrison Smith. Now Butler has been in the hall of fame conversation for a number of years and has not gotten in. And this is a guy who has more all pros than Harrison Smith had won a Super Bowl, had played in two and is still having a hard time getting in. So uh, Mark's perspective on that, and I, I, Mark referred to me, referred me to Rick Goslin, the, the longtime uh, NFL writer down in Dallas, who is a, a fairly big part of that Hall of Fame voting process. Mark said he he's his voice is pretty instrumental in that room. And Rick pointed out, as we were talking via email today, that only 34.5% of the players in the Hall of Fame played defense. So it is hard for defensive players to get in. It's even harder if they have not won a championship or have not been on an all-decade team, which Harrison Smith was not. So his point was he's going to have a lot of work to do in the, in the latter years of his career to get in and to make himself a serious candidate for the Hall of Fame winning a Super Bowl would help an awful lot. It's the stat he, he sent along my way was that 63.3% of the players in the hall of fame have won a championship. So you kind of need the Super Bowl 
to make yourself a serious candidate. He said 75% have been on an all-decade team. I, I think at this point, if you weren't on the one in the 2010s, getting on the one in the 2020s, given the fact Harrison Smith is already in his early 30s, would be awfully difficult to do. So the championship may help him more than anything else. But yeah, he, I mean, from what Mark and Rick, who have both been in that room for a lot of years, said, it's not a slam dunk for Harrison Smith. He's going to need a lot to happen in the last few years of his career to kind of make himself a an even stronger candidate for that honor. That is fascinating to me. Um, that is fascinating. I'm glad I brought this up because uh, I had no idea those numbers. I had no idea that the the gatekeepers of the hall of fame were so beholden to rings. And I say that with two Z's that speaks mm-hmm. to like a problem with the system. Does it not where like you are kind of propping up people who were just part of championship teams and overlooking people like, like look at a receiver like Brandon Marshall, Brandon Marshall never even made a playoff team. I don't yeah. think. But if he were like Peyton Manning's number one, he's a hall of famer. Don't you think? Like if he yeah. happened to have been on one of those teams, with a great quarterback. It's like Allen Robinson. It's not Allen Robinson's fault that he's had Blake Bortles and he got, yeah. and he decided, I mean, I guess he decided to sign with the bears, but my point is, is that there are some players that are just kind of handcuffed by their own situation. And look at Harrison yeah. Smith drafted by the Vikings. I guess he could have left and forced his way out and went somewhere else in free agency. But to me, am I, I guess, am I in such the wrong and assuming just 10 minutes ago that, Oh yeah, Harrison will be a hall of famer. No, I, I don't think so, but it, it, it's a hard one because we do this all the time with quarterbacks too, where it's like, does your record define you? Does playoff success define you? Um, I think if if that's a complicated question with quarterbacks, it's probably an even more complicated question at any other position, certainly on the defensive side of the ball at a position where the numbers aren't as easy to quantify. I mean, you're not going to have as many things that produce statistics in those positions as you will on offense. So it is tough, but at the same time, I do think that if you're able to win, I mean, certainly if you're able to win championships, you're able to win those types of honors, it's going to help you out. The ones that are tricky are like the guys at the end of their career. If you go somewhere and win a ring playing for a team that's already pretty good and you go kind of chase the ring and you get it done. Does that make that big of a difference in the accounting of your career? I'm not sure that it should. I think that's a a tricky line to walk. I I think that's probably been how it's been done. I I think that change over the years is some of the, the votes in that room maybe change and in the thinking of some of the writers there in that room may change a little bit, but yeah, it's it's a tough one to walk. I the all decade thing to me feels like a better marker of who should be in there than the championship thing. But um, that's also picked by writers, and that is a lot of the same people that make the Hall of Fame decision. In fact, I think it's most of the same people to make the Hall of Fame decision. So the all decade picks are typically a pretty good precursor to where you're going to get in because it's the same people voting on those things. So um, yeah, it's an interesting conversation. And frankly, by the time Smith is up for the discussion, because it's five years after the end of your career. So if say he plays another three or four years and then you wait another five, the, the makeup of the voting panel could be quite a bit different by that point. So um yeah, a lot of that stuff could change and 
and maybe it, it takes a different, maybe there's different weights put on different things, analytics, statistics, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, right now his resume is, um, it, you know, kind of on the, on the line, on the fence. Yeah, it'll be interesting too, I guess, as, as players like Rogers and guys that Harrison went up against over the years become more prominent in media circles, if they take broadcasting jobs afterward, yeah. stuff like that, if, if that kind of grows his legend a little more, because he, I guess he's not really the self-promoter kind of guy. He's got no, the hitman, he's not. He's got the Hitman logo and the, you know, the merchandise, but he's not somebody who's out here, you know, kind of boisterous personality. He's pretty low key. Um, and I wonder if that kind of works against him as well a little bit where you almost need to be on a prominent Steelers defense, like Troy Polamalu to kind of get by with that and, or, or have the hair, you gotta have the hair. Maybe that's Harrison's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he tried it with the hair for a little bit. I don't know if that really worked for him, but, but you know, like a guy like Brian Dawkins, I mean, Brian Dawkins got in the hall of fame a couple of years ago and statistically they are very similar in terms of per game averages. The big difference with Dawkins is he played in a lot more playoff games. He was with those Eagles teams that made it just about every year, had a couple more all pros uh, pro bowls were, I think about the same. I think they both went to six. Dawkins was four all pros. Smith only to this point is one, but the championships and, or at least the, the, the deep playoff runs for Dawkins, I guess never won a Super Bowl, but played in a lot more playoff games. So that stuff tends to factor in the minds of the voters, whether or not it should, is it probably a different question, but that type of stuff, I think if he gets in a few more playoff games, will help his candidacy quite a bit. What's interesting too, is that when you think of the most prominent playoff game he played in, it is the NFC title game in which the defense got demolished. He didn't have a very good night either. No, not, no, nobody did. Yeah. Nobody on that. Yeah. Particularly him. You're right. Cause Zach Ertz, I think went off in that game. He uh, got beat on a there. Well, there was the one to Alshon Jeffrey. And I think there was one kind of on an, an out route where he got beat to the corner. If I recall. Yep. trying to there was a lot of a lot that happened in that game but i think the, the one to all sean jeffrey i mean Foles had a lot of time to sit back there and and chuck it deep but i think i don't recall him having a very good night no so that's a good point and yeah when you think of postseason and kind of showing up for the moment kind of stuff um that conversation is not going to go too well right now for harrison um or i mean even think about the minneapolis miracle they blew a 17 nothing yep. lead in that game yep. um all right, let's get to the mailbag. We got 15 minutes to go here. We got a lot of questions to get to. You can always send them to us on Twitter. You can find our Twitter handles at startribune.com. You can find a lot of other stuff at startribune.com as well. Um, Kevin wants to know, why can't we have nice things? Um, I don't know, because <laughs> it's the Vikings. I mean, like, are you referring to the Vikings in general or Minnesota I sports? I mean, it's maybe. cold. People don't like to sign here. It's probably part of it. Yeah, maybe he means just, maybe he means just Minnesota sports in general. Um, Mark wants to know how does Rick Spielman's fate impact the future of Kirk Cousins? If Rick stays, does that mean Kirk is less likely to be traded, or vice versa? You know, that's a really interesting question. I have thought about it as Spielman stays means Cousins has a better chance to stay. But I wonder if you're a team, if, say you're a GM and a head coach that are taking over, do you say, okay, we've, he's not perfect, but we have a quarterback that can at least help us be competitive. 
in the short term and we can win at least enough to be in the playoff mix right away. And maybe we rebuild some things around him, but we have that. But the, the, I say that though. And the problem with that is that you're, you're right back in the same spot that they are right now where you're picking 13th or 14th. You're never picking right at the top. You're not really in a spot where you can make a run and try to win at a deep level um, just because you don't have probably the talent around him. And maybe you don't have the quarterback to go on that type of a run. So um, I have tended to think it's more likely he's here with Spielman. I could also see a scenario where somebody says, let's, let's play the deal out. The quarterback class isn't great. Vikings aren't going to be picking that high. Let's just let him roll through the last year of it. And then we address it after that. I mean, you could go that way. Um, You could trade him. It's just hard to find somebody that wants to take that deal on worth $35 million for the new team, trying to figure out if he's your guy long-term, the same question the Vikings would have to ask. So I, I tend to think it's all cleaner if Spielman's here, but uh, I suppose there's still a scenario where somebody says, yeah, we'll, we'll roll with him for a year and then address the quarterback situation after that. Yeah. That's a $45 million cab number for Kirk cousins in 2022 when that was agreed to, I think in 2019, when that restructure was done, yeah, it was the same day that Diggs won it out. Same day Diggs got traded, actually. That's right. What a day. What a day. Yeah, it was quite a day. <laughs> um, that number was, I think, by far at the moment, or at least one of the highest cap numbers. And now it's just kind of, if you look at what the current 2022 quarterback salaries are going to be and as far as cap numbers next year, that's pretty much all of them. Um, from Deshaun Watson to Aaron Rodgers to Mahomes to – um, Matt Ryan, even the Falcons are basically in cap purgatory with him. So, um, th- that's just kind of the going rate. And so that, I think that would work both for the Vikings trading him in terms of the quarterback needy team just says, all right, it's the cost of doing business for a one year. And rental. it's only 35 million for the new team. That Vikings too. keep the 10 million on the signing bonus too. That too. So I think it works for the only Vikings in terms, in terms of shipping him, but it also works for the Vikings in terms of keeping him because it's like, well, yeah, you're right. If, if, if it's a new regime, they might think, all right, it's worth just keeping him on the books because that's what a decent quarterback is going to cost in the NFL these days. As with any question with Kirk Cousins, it's debatable from either side. That's <laughs> Kirk Cousins is the gift to sports talk radio, to podcasts that keeps on giving. Oh man. Um, all right. Do you got, you had a few questions I think lined up as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we get, we got one from Jeff who uh, tends to email in quite a bit. He had kind of a, you know, he, he did the old, well, I'm going to send you a question, but there's like four in here. So, I mean, you know, I guess get your money's worth. You stop spamming my email inbox. So we appreciate that, Jeff. Um, he asks, um, actually, I guess it's only one question. It's just, he, he had some, uh, he did some editorializing <laughs> along with it. I'll just read the question part. Uh, this year's draft class. Well, uh, this year's draft class has been a complete bust. He says, I guess that is the editorializing part. We have no easy fixes because we have a $45 million contract waiting to blow up the team next year. How do the Patriots have quality teams year in and year out? And the Vikings are always missing two pieces and then talks about, uh, too many six and seventh round picks. Basically, how is it that the Vikings are always a couple pieces short while the Patriots are able to uh, feel the quality team every year? I mean, some of that is they've had Tom Brady for most of the time that you're talking about. They don't right now, of course, but they have been able to find 
pieces to play around Mac Jones. I think a lot of that, there's a difference in philosophy. The Patriots typically are the ones saying we're going to get rid of a guy maybe a year or two before we should. And the Vikings have been the team saying we're going to hang on to a guy a year or two longer than a lot of teams probably would. So I guess that'd be my take on it. What do you think? Yeah, we talked about the Patriots last week and just kind of pointing out the different roster decisions that they've made and just the development. I mean, I think J.C. Jackson, their top corners, I think he's an undrafted free agent a few years ago. And um, we've seen that pipeline kind of dry up for the Vikings where they're undrafted free agents from C.J. Ham to Anthony Harris to an Eric Wilson. Um, that, that next guy hasn't come along. And then the free agent signings they brought in, um, Bashad Breeland, the first round picks, Mike Hughes, Jeff Gladney, uh, at, at a certain position like corner where the defensive head coach talks about needing so many options and they've really sunk resources into it. Um, it's really hurt them not having that depth there. When, when Matthew Stafford is having like the worst game of the season can just kind of look over to Cameron, Dan- Cameron Dantzler's side of the field in the red zone and get that easy touchdown on third down. I mean, that's that kind of lack of depth right there. And yeah. the lack of a four man rush, I think to, to produce in those moments when you've lost a Daniel Hunter or an Everson Griffin, who you already weren't really expecting to have this season anyway. Um, I, yeah, I just think the Patriots have made, and Bill Belichick has made more sound decisions. Those decisions have looked better as they've aged, whether it's a Matthew Judon in free agency or yeah. spending all that money on tight ends in free agency to have a running game for a rookie quarterback. Um, they've got just kind of a clear direction, and the Vikings have seemed to just try to hold on to this formula that um, doesn't seem to get reinvented very much year in and year out. And so I think I think that's why they're at where they're at, and and I think that's why the Patriots are where they're at with Bill Belichick, who might get he might get Coach of the Year, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think. Uh... Matt LaFleur probably deserves a fairly strong case for that, given the fact he's uh, had his third 12-win season uh, in as many years. But, yeah, Belichick doing this with a rookie quarterback probably is going to be in the mix. And I think the other thing is, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, but sentimentality doesn't factor into a lot of the Patriots' decisions. I think it does at times for the Vikings, or at least it has. And that can cloud your judgment, can get you in some trouble. Yeah, whether it was Anthony Barr, Kyle Rudolph, um, there were guys that, in Barr's case, they were ready to let him walk out the door, and and they decided to kind of pay him more than they were initially thinking. Um, All right, Scott wants to know, Zim being fired and Rick having Rick move to a different title to allow a different GM to come in is being floated. Um, And he says it seems like a very half-measure triangle of authority style setup. So he wants to know in such a scenario where the new GM have true autonomy, uh, he really, he says he really feels that fresh eyes are needed. Well, first Ben, let's just address the, I have seen floated. I think ESPN wrote something. I can't remember who, but it was Jeremy Fowler. Yeah. It floated the idea that Rick sticks on, but then kind of gets into this non football, almost presidential role. it, It would seem within the team. Yeah, I think it was, I think what got tossed out there was like a senior advisor thing. Um, And I could see that in terms of like, he's got relationships in the building. It could be a, you know, we like you, we can't keep you in your current role, but we won't completely kick you to the curb kind of thing. Um, There's a lot of latitude in those roles. You could make it something where he's in an administrative role that really has some teeth. 
I don't expect it would be that. I mean, you, if it's something ceremonial, I wouldn't worry about it a whole lot in terms of him meddling with a new GM and that person not having control of the roster. I, I think the Wilfs would stick with the model they've used where the GM has full control and we're not back to some triangle of authority type thing. Um, I don't know that that worked terribly well the first time. And I think they realized they needed a clear reporting structure. So then if you're going to make that change, not empowering your new GM would seem challenging. So I, I don't know that I would worry about that a ton until it happens. Um, I, it would seem a little weird to me for them to make Spielman a, like a team president that oversees in theory the football side of things. Cause you wouldn't need him to oversee the business side of things. You have Andrew Miller for that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I wouldn't worry about that one a whole lot until somebody lays out a structure that suggests that there's something where a new GM wouldn't have full power. I'm not entirely convinced that Spielman won't be here, but if he's in that type of a role, I, I think it could be more of a, a soft landing for him than something where he's got a lot of control. Yeah. I think we need to see them make some kind of move with Rick before we go too much farther. Cause I just, I have a hard time thinking that's a sure thing at, at this point. Um, we'll have to see how that pans out though. Um, Greg has an interesting question. He says, watching Dak Prescott on Sunday night, he seems to be directing so much traffic before the snap, something I don't see very often with the Vikings. Is this a responsibility that can be determined watching film? And if a fact, is that a staple of our team or an indictment on Kirk Cousins? Um, I think that's interesting because Kirk has gotten more control of the offense. If you listen to coaches and believe coaches and Kirk, talking about it. Um, Ben, I don't know if you've heard any different, but to me watching the Vikings, it doesn't seem that Kirk does as much as other quarterbacks, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that he doesn't do anything, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see him check at times and, you know, it's run past checks and we don't have as much of a sense of, I mean, he's not probably doing as much of the, I mean, if you're comparing him to like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers does a lot at the line where he's adjusting routes. He's doing check with me type stuff. They have packaged plays. Um, Zimmer talked about it today that Rodgers was kind of the original with the RPOs and not that he's keeping the ball very much, but that he's got two plays up there and he's making a decision about, am I going to hand the ball off or am I going to throw, you know, a quick route or something, a stick route or a screen or whatever based on numbers or what, what I like with the look, they're not doing as much of that. I don't think, um, I don't think we see quite as much of that with cousins um, certainly doesn't look that way, but I don't think it means he's got no control. We do see him make some checks at the line uh, change of protections, probably audibling out of a run look to a pass or, or vice versa. Certainly see some of those things, but um, yeah, he's, he's not doing the things to the degree that you see some quarterbacks do. I, I think that's probably somewhat how they've set the offense up. I think, this is a group that comes from, I mean, even though you have a younger coordinator, this is a system that is still fairly traditional in its application of the West coast offense that probably doesn't give the quarterback quite as much latitude at the line as you see with some other teams. And, and that was the case certainly before. I mean, we heard that with North Turner's schemes a lot that quarterbacks did not have much control at the line at all 
And that came up in a couple of occasions that I can remember, certainly with Teddy Bridgewater. And that's, we're not in that scheme, but I do think there's probably still some of that sentiment of, Hey, uh, we're not just going to let the quarterback do whatever he wants. And that maybe not as a reflection on cousins as much as just the, the culture around the team and how they think of player latitude in general. Yeah. I, I think we have heard Kirk discuss, um, in this offense, sometimes the plays have the answers in terms of yeah. it's his job to get up there, read the coverage, and then know how that dictates within the play where he goes with the football. And that's a um, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur thing. We've heard those guys talk about that too. So that's some of this scheme. Shannon, yeah. same thing. Yeah, yep. And and so that I think that kind of takes it out of his hands somewhat um, a lot of times. And when you have a run-heavy scheme, he's not getting a lot of op- opportunity necessarily to be doing a whole lot of directing uh, when it's run left, run right, maybe he's directing it left or right, but uh, we're checking into different runs. But th- as far as options go, I think the farthest they're going to get is some kind of screen and run option. I haven't seen a true or like, you know, a diverse RPO game since John Day Filippo was, was coordinating this offense. Um, so with Kirk, I just think the offense, you're right. You hit the nail on the head as far as the scheme that he's in is not one that lends itself to that. And if you look at the quarterbacks who are in this scheme around the league, you will see the same stuff. You will see the quarterback. Garoppolo has checks and stuff that he does before yeah. the line, but he's not sitting back there in the gun like Rodgers, you know, telling his receivers which routes to run based on the coverages and what's going on. So right. not at least at that same rate. So, um, yeah, I you should watch Garoppolo. You should watch Stafford. You should probably watch tape of Jared Goff when he was with the Rams. Um, Tannehill a little bit. Um yeah, those would be the guys you should compare Cousins to. Don't compare him to Rodgers in terms of what he can do with the line. Yeah, or Roethlisberger, who came in yeah. and was basically calling the entire offense at the line of scrimmage. Um, it's just a different different setup with the Vikings and with a lot of quarterbacks who are in these kind of schemes. Um, do we have any other questions? Um, there's a couple on cap restructuring. Um, I don't know that – I mean, I don't know that we need to get into those today. Um, just trying to see if, I mean, there's a lot of these are sort of the big picture type things. Um, well, okay. Scott, Scott asked one here about, does the fact that they brought Kyle Slaughter and say anything about that level of confidence in Kellen Mond's ability to play or lack of if needed, we've heard absolutely nothing. His picks always seem more like giving the perception of trying to think long-term about the quarterback position. Am I wrong? Um, I think it's got more to do with Sean Mannion being sick. Um, and them needing a third quarterback. I, I don't know that they're completely ready to put Mond out there, but I have heard that he's been a little better in the last couple of weeks, at least in terms of off the field. They're, they're giving him quite a bit of time in the classroom, and it sounds like they have been more impressed with some of the work he's done with Andrew, Andrew Janoko, the quarterback's coach, in that sense. Um, it's a different deal if you have to get on the field, and Mike Zimmer talked about him a little bit today. I don't think they'd love having to put him out there, but I think the Slaughter move has more to do with we need three quarterbacks and we can't have some of these guys go down, especially when Cousins is not vaccinated. Mond had said before the season that he was not vaccinated and said he was going to think about it after he got COVID. We haven't really talked to him since. So some of this is just about you need a quarterback. You can't go in there with Dalvin Cook running Wildcat if you have to get in that situation. They need somebody running the scout team at practice. That too. 
Mond, Mond is going to be trying to prepare as Kirk's backup and getting in yep. the game plan and learning the Vikings offense. They need somebody to do what Mond was doing, which was just going yes. into the scout team and running that during the week. And so they brought Sloter in um, for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, not knowing if Mannion is going to come back. And it's important to note that Mannion was symptomatic when he tested positive. That was the only reason he tested Sunday because he is vaccinated. So that means if he's symptomatic, as long as he is, I don't believe he can come back unless he tests negative and is symptom free, I, I believe. Yes, the five day thing doesn't apply if you have symptoms. I think you're still talking about a 10 day cycle here if you have symptoms. So with him, he's just going to have to um, get over um, and be symptom free and then test negative twice uh, to come back in time. If not, Kellen Mond is your backup quarterback again, uh, this time at Lambeau Field on Sunday. That is where we will talk to you next time from Green Bay after the Vikings play the Packers. Please check out startribune.com for all of our work. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>